0: Good morning, good afternoon and good evening, it's Wednesday, the pot of tea is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. Welcome to the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. Today we're going to look at how Redknapp's leaving of Southampton in 2005 as it is the 15 year anniversary today. We're going back to England to the table never lies in 2001 in December of 2001, but first we're going to look at perhaps the biggest achievement in English football, and that is, of course, the Arsenal Invincible season of 2003-04. So Arsene Wenger had dragged Arsenal and English football into the 21st century. He'd got rid of the drinking culture at Arsenal and he'd installed stricter dietary requirements at the club. He'd persuaded Arsenal to get Remy Gard and Patrick Vieira before he joined the club in late 1996, and gifted Arsenal... Their very first podium finish in the Premier League era. Their very first since George Graham won the league with Arsenal in 1991. Then in his first full season, the double winning season of 1998, Alex Ferguson's Manchester United were gone. They were on the quest to win three in a row. Mark Overmarser's goal at Old Trafford killed that dream off. The double winning team of 1998 was replicated in 2002. Tony Adams' swung song. He retired and with kind of a different squad, really. Seaman had become Jens Lehman. Lee Dixon had become Lauren. Tony Adams had become Saul Campbell. Steve Bold had become Colo Torre. Nigel Winterburn had become Ashley Cole. Patrick Vieira, well, he was still Patrick Vieira. Emmanuel Petit had become Gilberto Silva. Mark Overmars, Freddie Lundberg. Ray Parler had become Robert Perez. Dennis Bergkamp remained. And Ian Wright had become Thierry Henry. It was time for the 2003-04 season and Arsenal wanted their trophy back. And as per last week, the 5-1 win in the San Siro in the Champions League for Arsenal confirmed their place in that tournament for the winter. They had the League Cup still to fight for in 2004, and the FA Cup, as was tradition, was coming round in January. They went out of the League Cup to Middlesbrough, which wasn't too much of a big deal, really. Middlesbrough went on to win the tournament, of course, beating Bolton in the final. But then, within days of each other, the treble dream had just become a league title surge. They'd gone out to Chelsea in the Champions League quarterfinal, something we're definitely going to look at on in a few weeks' time, and they'd gone out of the FA Cup to Manchester United. The title, though, was far from wrapped up. They had seven points advantage over Chelsea with eight games remaining, and they had games such as Liverpool, Newcastle and Leeds to come. Those three losses there could have completely derailed their season, and it would have been more a... Look back at Claudio Ranieri's title winning Chelsea side after 49 years of Chelsea not winning the league. So, of course, they would only need eight points to win the league. That superb win over Liverpool with that absolutely monumental goal from Thierry Henry, rinsing Jamie Carragher in the Liverpool defence, winning 4-2. They would get a point at Newcastle and put five past leads. Thierry Henry getting four of them. And, of course, it was sealed... With a kiss at White Hart Lane, the perfect place to do so. Patrick Vieira scoring. Captain Marvel himself, a 2-2 draw. They'd won the title at Old Trafford in 02. They'd won the title at White Hart Lane in 2004. It wasn't the biggest achievement in football yet. They had to still ride out the rest of the season, and they did so quite simply against Leicester, who would be relegated. Is it the best achievement in English football, though? I'm a firm believer of having to win multiple titles for your team to be considered great. Arsenal had a lot of the team from 2002 left over, like Sol Campbell was still there. You've got Cole Torre who would come in, Jens Lehman of course. Ashley Cole was just reaching um, starting 11 status in 2002. Gilberto Silva were coming after the World Cup, after he won the World Cup, and you've still got the the front four of Lundberg, Pires Bergkamp and Henri there, Patrick Vieira of course. So it was still it was ever so slightly different, but There are extenuating circumstances to becoming the best team in English football, Premier League football history, really. Had Manchester City not won a second title after 100 points, they could be considered as a great team. Arsenal, they were... It was a similar team, it wasn't the same team, but winning a season invincible... I think those are extenuating circumstances to be considered great, albeit not winning multiple titles. Now we've seen Chelsea in 2010. I think they go under the radar. Carlo Ancelotti's team—they um, were different from 2008 under Avram Grant and the 2005 and 6 seasons under Jose Mourinho. Um, they were a very different team. They only won the league once, but they were absolutely fine. They're one of the best footballing teams I think we've seen that don't nearly get enough recognition they won the double just as Man United did in 94 and 96 but again those teams they won multiple league titles but there's another level just winning the cup and the league I don't think is enough uh, to be considered the best anymore I mean a big touchstone is Bill Nicholson's Tottenham team in the 1960s who won the double the first team in the 21st century to do a double after Preston in the 19th century but there are teams now who win trebles. Manchester City in 2019, the season after the Centurions, and Manchester United, who of course won the treble in 1999. In that season, Man United only lost four times. They lost in the League Cup quarter final to Tottenham. They lost three times in the league to Middlesbrough, Sheffield Wednesday and Arsenal. At this season, Arsenal's quote-unquote invincible season, they lost six times. Twice in the Champions League first group stages, twice to Middlesbrough in the League Cup in that semi-final defeat, to Chelsea in the second leg of the Champions League quarter-final, and to Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final. I put a poll out there, the greatest Premier League team ever. I put Manchester United's treble-winning team of 99 in there, I put Arsenal's 2004 Invincibles team in there, and Manchester City's Centurion team of 2018 uh, Manchester United ran away with the poll. Um, we had some correspondence there. Harry says that the Invincibles team are up there. And Quirk on Twitter says, the one that no other team could beat have to be the best Premier League team ever. And for me, it is those three teams. Fourth, perhaps the Jose Mourinho or Chelsea team. We're still in the era of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team at the minute. And if they can win the league this season, which is still very highly possible and highly likely, then they can be added to this long list purely because of the way they won it and the way they challenged Manchester City before winning the league as well. You know, 97 points I think they won is a rec- far and away the record for the best points to, to never win the league. And going back to Arsenal, they would never win the league again. They went on an incredible run of top four finishers and would be roundly mocked by everybody for winning the top four trophy each and every year, but Arsene Wenger instilled a record of successive Champions League appearances for an English club. They qualified for the tournament between 1998, when they won his first league title in England, to 2017 and in his third from last season at the club. Wenger would leave in 2018 with four FA Cups under his belt after the last league title win in 2004. And despite this routine... um, Champions League qualification that he'd achieved at Hybrid and then the Emirates. They wouldn't make the last eight of the Champions League for the last eight years of his spell and haven't been in the last eight of a Champions League in a decade now and are currently on track to be in the Europa League for a fifth successive season after a loss this weekend at home to Wolves. They're currently 14th in the Premier League. They could even not qualify for Europe for the first time in what would be almost 30 years. Of course, Arsenal weren't able to beat Manchester United in a league in 2003-04, but another team that they didn't beat, well, we'll be talking to them after this short advert break. Are you a massive football nerd like me? Do you like quizzes? If you answered yes to the both of these, then I'm pleased to tell you about Teammates, a sponsor of What If Football and the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast. Climb the divisions. Win the cups. All by linking teammates. A spring chicken with no knowledge of when football didn't exist before 1992? Try the modern section. Too old and not up to date with your Mbappes or your Camavingas? Try vintage mode. It's a football quiz to suit everybody's needs. At teammates underscore app on Twitter, teammatesapp.co.uk for monthly quizzes and merch, and teammates on the App Store. Look for the red and blue football. Teammates. It really is a quiz like no other. Welcome back, and of course that team, now you've had a few seconds to tumble it over, is of course Portsmouth, who drew home and away with Arsenal in the league. Now we go 15 years back, and to Harry Redknapp, who had just left Southampton, but we're going to be talking today about the team that he would manage either side of that short stint on the South Coast, and that is of course Portsmouth. Portsmouth hadn't played top-flight football since 1988. Then Harry Redknapp got the band back together, Crouchy, Merce, and within 14 months, they were promoted from the Championship, or the First Division as it was known at the time, and to the Premier League. They were relatively safe in their first season. Um, they had that beautiful gold kit with the uh, TY toy sponsoring company on there. That was, was a fantastic kit. And um, they were relatively safe in their first season back. But after numerous spats with the Portsmouth owner, Mila Mandaric, Harry Redknapp resigned in November 2004, weeks later. After steering Portsmouth to Premier League survival and being known as a hero, he became a Judas to Portsmouth fans. He went down the road and he joined up with Southampton. But he would probably become known as a Portsmouth hero again a few months later when he relegated Southampton whilst Portsmouth stayed up. He would resign a few months into his season back in the Championship and that was 15 years to this day. And five days later, he was back at Fratton Park, of course. Rupert Lowe, Southampton chairman called it called Fratton Park his spiritual home and regardless, he was looking at successive relegations as Portsmouth were in the throes of a rele- relegation dogfight. They weren't in the relegation zone when he took charge, but despite wins over West Brom and Fulham in month one of his reign back at Fratton Park, he'd get just one point from a possible 24 in January and February, which put them second from bottom. They would have been rock bottom had it not been for Sunderland's record breaking points tally in that season. A crucial transfer on the pitch had it been transfer season in January, a couple of weeks into his tenure, wasn't on the pitch. It was Milan Mandaric transferring 50% of Portsmouth to Alexandra Giedemach. Mandaric would leave as chairman in the summer, a summer where Harry Redknapp could celebrate the safety of Portsmouth in 17th place. But it didn't seem that way in March. In March, Portsmouth were a staggering 8 points from safety with 10 games to go. And then Pedro Mendes happened. Pedro Mendes scored two goals, two blooters you might say, against Manchester City. It was a 2-1 win and the beginning of the end of Birmingham City's stay in the Premier League was then. The story goes that Pedro Mendes was scoring volleys from 20-30 yards for fun in training. High Redknapp told him to save one for the game. He ended up saving two and by the next time that Portsmouth lost which was April the 17th at Charlton. Portsmouth had got an amazing 14 points from 18 games, yet still they remained in the drop zone. They still remained level on points with Birmingham with three games to go. But then West Brom were beaten again. Sunderland were beaten. Survival was sealed before the final day. Birmingham went down alongside those two teams there, Sunderland and West Brom. Now, my question is, as I think it is one of the greatest great escapes, and is it the most underrated great escapes? The traditional touchstones, at least in Premier League history, for older fans, older than me, Everton in 94, where Everton sealed survival on the final day against Wimbledon with Goodison Park having three stands. It was a big sliding doors moment, a moment perhaps you might see on this channel next year, but we'll uh, get to that when we come to it. For people my age at least, it's West Brom in 2005, where they jumped up from 20th to 17th. West Ham in 2007, albeit controversially in uh, Sheffield United fans' eyes and, of course, with the signing of Carlos Tevez that year, Fulham 2008 and what they went on to become two years later, appearing in the Europa League final under Roy Hodgson. And for more recent fans, Aston Villa last season, Jack Grealish dragging them out of a hole, getting a point at West Ham on the final day to secure survival. But for me to be eight points adrift in March and then be safe with a game to spare, it's just simply incredible. But we push on. From what Wikipedia calls Portsmouth's 2005-2006 starting 11, there isn't a single player that played for Portsmouth on May the 17th, 2008. And why is that date important? Well, of course, it was Portsmouth's FA Cup win, their most recent FA Cup win in 2008. Experience was brought in at the back, David James, Sol Campbell, Sylvan Distant and Herman O'Reiderson, Glenn Johnson was arguably England's best right-back at the time and with Gary Neville retiring in a couple of years' time, he would become their starting right-back at the World Cup in 2010 and Euro 2012. Lasana Diara was an exciting defensive midfielder who would then go on to play for Real Madrid in the future. Of course remained Pedro Mendes, of course you had Sully Muntari, John Utaka on the wings and a Harry Redknapp favourite in Nico Kranjka. Canu got the goal, but he would be replaced by the tandem of Peter Crouch and Jermaine Defoe, other Harry Redknapp favourites. But Redknapp's time on the South Coast wouldn't be extended far beyond the FA Cup final win. He would be torn from Portsmouth, in my opinion, far too soon and would go to Spurs, obviously. Traditionally a bigger club, and he would take them to a Champions League quarter final. Whilst Portsmouth had designs on Europe themselves through winning the FA Cup, they got the chance to entertain... AC Milan. By this point, Redknapp was gone, but it didn't stop Portsmouth racing into a 2-0 lead against a Milan side that featured Ronaldinho, who was just exiting his peak, but still one of the best players in the world at the time on his day. And today, as we look at it, Tottenham are top of the Premier League and Portsmouth are unfortunately struggling under the management of Kenny Jackett in League One after um, being relegated in 2010, going into administration, of course. Plunge into the depths of the uh, bottom half of League Two, making a surge up to League One, and they are, well, they will be pushing for promotion you'd expect for this season back to the Championship. And of course, a member of that 2008 FA Cup winning team for Portsmouth, we can't go out of this section without mentioning Papa Booba Diop, a superb central midfielder, uh, well known for his goal against France in the 2002 World Cup opener. A fantastic Premier League midfielder who sadly died this past weekend at the age of 42 after a long illness. We'll be back after this short break with The Table Never Lies, looking back at the 2001-2 season in the Premier League. We are back and we're going to look at the table and of course, as we know from our many weeks looking at tables, the tables, they don't lie. So looking at this table, as you see it on your screen now, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Liverpool and Leeds coasted to the league if you had no knowledge, no prior knowledge of this season. Leeds in second place are a couple of points behind Liverpool with only one loss to their name. They were at the beginning of the end. A huge cocktail, a huge toxic cocktail of high loans, fees and wages. But that little sprinkling, that poison of no Champions League football would curtail their, well, existence for a, at least a decade and a half. They'd lose Rio Ferdinand, Alex of Harry Kuhl, Mark Viduca, Alan Smith would go, relegation would come in 2004 and they have only just got back to the Premier League, of course, this year under Marcelo Bielsa. Leeds at the time though, probably from 2000 to 2002 under David O'Leary's Premiership. David O'Leary wouldn't finish them outside the top five. That's how good they were. And they were a team that were recovering from Howard Wilkinson bringing them the, the last ever first division in 1992. George Graham had a stint as well. They'd found themselves sort of one of the other clubs in the mid-90s. And David O'Leary with his young band of players, Paul Robinson, at Jonathan Woodgate at the back, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Kelly, and Hart, fullbacks. You know, they were an a ex- very exciting team and a team that probably should have done something a lot more than a Champions League semi-final, which is ludicrous to say now when you think of where they are and where they were, and that is their best record in Europe, apart from the final in 1975, I think, against Bayern Munich, where they, of course, were named champions of Europe. But um, there we go. Leeds were a very exciting team. They would, of course, finish fifth, and this season would be Top four, the very first season where a top four, I think it might have been the second season where a top four guaranteed yourself a place, at least in the qualification spots of the Champions League and Leeds' fifth place would be behind Liverpool, it'd be behind Newcastle, it'd be behind, of course, Arsenal and Manchester United. Liverpool had secured Champions League football for the first time since the Hazel disaster in 1985, where they would receive a six-year ban and then after the toxic managerial stint of Graham soonest took a while to recover. They'd had Gerard Julia, who was a co-manager and now he was in sole charge. Of course, this season would be the season where he would uh, take some time off for health issues and Phil Thompson would take the reins for a long time and got them into the Champions League again, of course, a season removed after that fantastic treble of the FA Cup League Cup and UEFA Cup. Another team, Newcastle, they were on a big resurgence under Sir Bobby Robson. They'd qualified for the Champions League and be competitive that famous night in Rotterdam where Craig Bellamy sealed their qualification to the second group stage the last 16, as it is now known. And Newcastle were, again, another tricky team. This was, we like to call the Premier League now, a big six or a top four in the late 2000s, early 2010s. But this, for me, with nostalgic naughty eyes, this is the big six. You've got Chelsea there. They might be eighth there, but... In the early 2000s, they were pushing for Champions League and they did get Champions League, of course, in 2000. And obviously under Mourinho and Roman Abramovich, they would get Champions League routinely and haven't stopped getting the Champions League, albeit for one or two seasons here or there. But Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, they, Arsenal, Man United were obviously... One and two, or usually one and two. You'd have Liverpool, who dropped in for second place in this season. curtailing Manchester United's uh, second place, and automatic Champions League qualification on the final day after United drew with Charlton on the final day, I believe. And then you've got Leeds and Newcastle, who were the uh, younger, fresher, like upcoming talents that you know could have disrupted the fabric of the top four in the Champions League qualifiers. So that was a good top six. You've also got like Tottenham Hotspur and Aston Villa there, Everton, who would routinely finish in the top half, but never have enough to break that mould. And that is the top six, what I remember the top six. Obviously, now we've got Tottenham in for Newcastle, we've got Man City in for Leeds, and that's the top six now. But the cream in this season would rise to the top. Manchester United had Alex Ferguson considering his retirement, and he would U-turn right in time for a big push in December and they would be top of the table in January, in February and in March and they would only be scuppered by the Arsenal double winning team that we spoke of earlier, the 2002 winning team. Unbeaten away, which was at the time a record. Obviously, they would replicate in 2004 because they went invincible. But this was the first team that anybody had done it, at least in the Premier League era. And as we mentioned, as we alluded to earlier on, they sealed the title at Old Trafford. Sylvan Wiltor's goal where the the season was pretty much wrapped up because you'd, you'd believed that Arsenal would wrap up the title but they left it without any shadow of a doubt with that win in May at Old Trafford to seal the league title. Let's check the other end of the table though. We've got Ipswich, Derby and Leicester all going down. Leicester, as we touched on last week, would be ruined the loss of manager Martin O'Neill who dragged them to such success. They took them to Europe... They won a trophy and now they were rock bottom. And this was the season where we learned of second season syndrome, Ipswich Town. Ipswich had gone from fifth place and stunning everybody. They'd hosted Ronaldo in the UEFA Cup into Milan, Ronaldo. It was the biggest drop-off in Premier League history, simply put. Um, we've had other teams that have finished in the top eight and then been relegated the following season. Blackburn uh, Blackburn in 1998. Of course, Blackburn would would have won the Premier League in '95, and kept creeping lower and lower down. They'd gone from Kenny Dalglish, a couple of managers. They'd got Roy Hodgson, they'd got Brian Kidd and then were relegated in 1999. West Ham in seventh place in 2002. Harry Redknapp wasn't the manager any longer and the loss of key players like Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, Jermaine Defoe, Rio Ferdinand... They would be relegated in 2003. And then you've got eighth places of QPR in 95 and Reading in 2007, who perhaps shocks the Premier League a bit in their positioning for those particular seasons, but then would fall back to relegation. Only to sporadically return in a number of years in the future. And currently, looking at this league table now, we have 14 teams, 13 teams, sorry, who are currently playing the Premier League. We've got Blackburn, Middlesbrough and Derby, previous Premier League alum now playing in the Championship. Derby, of course, with Wayne Rooney as their interim manager currently. Blackburn and Middlesbrough pushing for promotion whilst Derby trying to get back to some mid-table comfort. League One, we've got Sunderland, who have just sacked their manager, Phil Parkinson, pushing for promotion as are Ipswich and Charlton. Charlton recently been relegated, who have Lee Boyer, previous Premier League manager, Previous Premier League player, sorry, as their manager. And lowest of that pack, Bolton Wanderers, who have just been relegated to the 4th tier in League 2. Only a handful of t- of teams who have been in the Premier League to have then played in the 4th tier, such teams as Oldham, Swindon, Portsmouth, Coventry, Bradford, etc. After this break, we'll be talking about a 2000 Trivial Teaser. We'll wrap it up and we've got two correct answers from our listeners this week. Welcome back. We're going to wrap things up with a 2000 Trivial Teaser as always. Now, last week's answer, he was a left-back. He'd been managed by Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. He'd played alongside Torsten Frings, Claudio Pizarro, Marco Inautovic, Frederic Piccion, Diego Simeone. And I thought those answers, those teammates at least, would be a curveball. But I think the managers of Ferguson and Wenger shined through there. And, of course, Mikhail Silvestre was the answer. Scott Shaw, obviously on a roll here. He's got his fourth in a row correct answer here with Silvestre and we also had Maracas Flute on Twitter tweet us and guess Silvestre correctly. So we're going to do things a bit more difficult then this time since people keep guessing the correct answers. And today our answer is a striker. He's been managed by Louis van Haal and Roy Hodgson. He's played alongside Paul Ince, Ronaldo, Yari Lippmannen, Robert Earnshaw and Jeff Horsfield. So you've got a very eclectic mix as always there from right the way through from Ronaldo a world cup winner to Jeff Horsfielder from a Halifax town legend before he left but anyway that's by the by if you think you know the answer reply to this video in the comments section down below or tweet us at what if underscore youtube next week we'll be looking at Sevilla's UEFA Cup wins, their first collection of UEFA Cup wins. Of course, they're six-time winners now, but we'll be looking at the ones in the 2000s. We'll be looking at a collection of Premier League fastest goals as on the day next week, Ledley King scored what was at the time the fastest goal in Premier League history at Bradford City. The table never lies, we'll be going to Espanol with Spain. Not Espanol, but Espanol To Spain in 2002, my Other languages are rubbish, but also on the channel, we're going to be looking at George Best, the 1995 Champions League final. Bundesliga is getting the tier list treatment. We're going to look at Brian Clough. We've got a review of ISS Pro Evolution Soccer 2 and the 2005 Champions League final. We'll get a reworking on what if. I'm at what if underscore YouTube. Give us your teaser answers. Give us your memories of how Redknapp at Portsmouth or Southampton is he a hero or is he a villain? And let us know what is the best Premier League team of all time and what is in fact the Arsenal best Arsenal team of all time. But until then, see you there. Sports Social Podcast Network.